Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, what should be done with the three Irish Navy ships which were recently decommissioned? And we have the embarrassing tale of what became of the last Navy ship which was sold. And you can own one of the country's most spectacular lighthouses. It's for sale, but with a hefty price tag. This week we learned that just four of the Irish Navy ships are operating at the moment. Last year we had a Navy of nine ships, but three, the Kira, the Ola and the Etna, were decommissioned last July. Two more are now in dry dock, so the Navy has halved in size in the space of just six months. More ships are on order, but is the Navy in crisis? They have a big problem recruiting people. Senator Gerald Crockle has been a vocal critic of defence policy in Ireland. I spoke to him this week. He told me what he believed was happening in the Navy. Yes, uh, we've just been informed that two ships are now to be taken out of the line. Um, This means that in a very short space of time we've gone from nine ships to four. Um, Look, the issues surrounding the Naval Service are well known. The failure of the Defence Forces to implement the Working Time Directive has resulted in people leaving the force because of the amount of time that they must commit to the job. The failure to provide a correct or a a reasonable amount of at-sea allowance. Uh, The difference between, for example, a member of the Revenue Commission going to sea and a sailor going to sea is massive. Uh, And this too is leading to people going and leaving the service. The general staff of the Defence Forces, the Department of Defence, the Minister and indeed the Government are well aware of the issues that are causing the uh, uh, Navy to literally fall apart in front of us. Are four ships enough? We've halved our, our force in about a year? No, four ships are not enough. We have the largest economic zone in the European Union. We're unable to patrol it. We're unable to uh, take care of it. Even in a search and rescue situation, four ships is not enough. Um, The Atlantic is a massive area to cover. We really have to step away and have a look at how we will deal with pay. The recent Commission on Defence was I suppose, uh, hindered by virtue of the fact that any recommendation they had made had to stay within the national pay agreements already in place, and that simply won't work. So it's about pay? It's about pay. It's about pensions. The 2013 pension has meant that the Naval Service, the Army, the Air Corps is no longer a career. It is a short step into the private sector. Come in, get your qualification and move on. We do have new ships on the way, though. Will we be able to man those? Yeah, I mean, the new ships that are coming in are going to require half the crew that are required for the the ships that are currently in place. Uh, There's some debate and discussion as to their suitability for the Irish Sea. The Irish Sea is particularly rough. We're also getting this something called a mixed-purpose vehicle or mixed-purpose vessel. Yeah, the mixed-purpose vessel is something that has been on the horizon for quite some time, and this is to allow for helicopters to land on board the ship. But if it's, it's also, I think, to transport large pieces of equipment. So, say, we were going to Lebanon, they could transport everything by, she- by sea. Yeah, the theory is great, and that, that is true. That's exactly what they would be, do- would be capable of doing. It's a nice idea. But I would much rather see us working towards building the Naval Service back up to its establishment, uh, fixing the problems that are causing young men and women to leave, uh, even commissioned officers now. In one case in the Naval Service, we had an entire apprentice class bought out by a private company. 
we cannot continue the way we are. The pension has to be fixed, the pay has to be fixed, the going to sea allowance has to be fixed, and the working time directive has to be fixed. If we don't fix those, we won't have a Navy. We also have an issue where there are three ships being disposed of at the moment. They're not going to be sold. They're going to be scrapped. It, probably scrapped. Maybe one might be turned into a museum piece. Yeah, it's my view that uh, two of those ships should be museum pieces, one possibly in Galway and one in Cove in, in Cork. Um, at the third one, if you want to scrap it, fine, if it has to be scrapped. Let's scrap it, though. Let's not do what we did the la- with the last ship and make somebody a multimillionaire out of flogging it off for half nothing. There is the question then of what should happen to those decommissioned ships. The Department of Defence said this week that the Minister had decided in recent weeks that two are to be recycled or scrapped, while talks are underway on a proposal by Dublin Port to keep the Elietna as a museum piece there. Joe Hawes is one of the country's very few shipping line owners. He runs Coastline Shipping in Coven County, Cork. I asked his expert opinion on what should happen to the decommissioned ships and he also told me of the embarrassing tale of what had happened to the Ashling, which ended up in the hands of a Libyan warlord. They're all built 1984, 84, 85. And uh, the, the Irish Navy, or the Irish system, appears to get rid of them on age grounds only. But these ships are in perfect condition. And if they were in the commercial world... If I had vessels in the same condition, I would uh, uh, be absolutely uh, over the moon. Okay, is it possible to sell a Navy ship? They've see, had to, they had difficulty the last time. They did, and I was one of the people who offered, uh, uh, I was the only, there was only two people offered uh, for the last vessel, and I was, one of, I was the first person to offer, offer for it, and then my colleague uh, decided he wanted, so I left it in. So, what happens is, it's a bit like somebody auctioning a fire brigade. The fire brigade might have only 12,000 miles in it. It might be 10 years old or it might be 15 or 20 years old. But there isn't much use for a fire brigade. So in, a second, in its second life, there is no, even though it's perfect, there is no real market for it. Bearing that scenario, I'm bringing it back to the ships. The ships are exactly the same way. There isn't really a great future for the Arla or the uh, Kira, which are patrol vessels. They have um, enormous engines. They can do 25 knots. They absolutely uh, guzzle diesel. They couldn't keep fuel to them. And uh, they are small and not really usable in any other circumstances other than some type of patrol. Whereas the Etna is a bit different. She is a high freeboard. She is uh, very suitable for um, uh, offshore work. Uh, she has a, um, she has an, uh, a helicopter hangar. She has a good accommodation. Mechanically, she would be perfect. Hull-wise, she would be, would be perfect. The difference between a naval vessel and a commercial vessel is the tanks of those vessels would be absolutely in perfect condition because they wouldn't be getting any grab uh, damage. They, they wouldn't be bursting and unbursting in, in awkward places and getting bangs and dints, uh, which would break the coating of the tank, and therefore uh, you'd be getting rust. Whereas these ships, the, the tank coatings in these ships, would be absolutely in perfect condition, and therefore 
it's a tank. It's the tanks of the vessel are really the bones of the ship. If the tanks of a vessel are rotten, the ship is useless. Okay, it, now they, I have a statement from the Department of Defence. They say that the LE Kira and the LA Ore will be disposed of by safe and environmentally sound recycling methods, i.e. They, they're going to be scrapped. Could they sell them? You see, I know the situation of the, of the, um, of the, of the state. The last three vessels, one Coveney gave away to uh, the Maltese Navy for nothing. That vessel is still in operation and is still in absolutely perfect condition and operating every day. The other one was sold to Nigeria for 300000 I was at the auction in Cork, and uh, these two guys bought it. That vessel wound up in some kind of patrol or something like that in Nigeria, where she is today. Okay, and the, the third one, then ended up in the hands of pardon? a warlord in Libya. Yeah, now I can tell you the whole story about that because I was in, I was involved in that. That vessel I bid at a hundred thousand for her at the auction, and my friend Dick Vanderkamp uh, bid at a hundred and ten, and he got it. And then he took it to his yard in in in, uh, in Rotterdam, and he asked uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand for it. Uh, he was expecting somebody from say like uh, an oil company that needed a vessel for patrolling a pipeline or something of that description. Or maybe somebody that I'd like to convert it to a yacht, which was done with the Deirdre. But anyway, this lady turned up. Now, this is true, because I was there myself, and uh, driving a Mercedes. And she arrived into his office, and she said, I understand you have a vessel for sale called the Avon Moore. Now, how did it get the name Avon Moore? It was originally, originally Ashling. He says to me, I'd like to put some Irish name in it. And he says, I see butter for sale, Kerrygold, in, in Holland. He says, well, I call her Kerrygold. Oh, Jesus, says, I don't call her Kerrygold. He says, um, there's another brand there. He says, call Avonmore or something. I said, that's the one. I said, Avonmore. So that's how she got the name Avonmore. That's, such a, that's true. But anyway, this lady arrives in. She says, you have this vessel for sale, Avonmore. I said, yeah. So she said that she was from United Arab Emirates and that she'd like to look at the vessel. So the vessel is where his office is. The vessel is only a couple of, three or four hundred yards. So she went down. She, she said she'd like to see it. And she said, um, you know, she says, uh, I'd like to buy it. And he said, um, you'd like to buy it? Yes. She says, um, just tell me what you want for there, and I'll buy it for you. This is the way the conversation went. He says, you don't buy a ship, you don't buy a ship like that, he says. He says, you have to send surveyors, and you have to survey it and all the rest of it. And you have to look into it. She says, you know how it's done. She says, I don't care. I've seen it. It's fine. I'll take it. I know, no, no. She says, you, you can't do that. She says, hey, she, you, you don't know anything about it. She says, he says, then she would have to. No, she says, we have it for a specific purpose. We want to uh, put it into a luxurious yacht. And she says, this will suit the purpose very well. And we've already looked at some, your website. And we've seen it and we're happy with it. And that's it. She says, tell me what you want for it. I'll buy it. I'll give you the money now. Ah, she says, that's really never saw anyone to buy a ship like that. And this member has sold about 300 ships in this time. He never saw anything like it. So she came back to the office. But he said, I'll have to do up an MOA for this vessel. And that'll take me about two or three hours. And then she, he said, I'll have to tell you all about the registration. She says, that's fine. I love people who look after that. She said, how much do you want for it? So anyway, to me the deal. She said, right, what's your bank details there and I put the money in your account? And he says, he sure, I got to do an MOA there. She 
left her card and she left and she said this is the name of the company that I went to then and that's fine so she did all that and he, he made up an MOA memorandum agreement and it's about it's it's in our region sales farm it's international farm everybody knows it and you sign your name about 25 times and um, she came back at 3 o'clock she said the money was in his account and he got her to sign all the documents she signed it Nothing happened for about two weeks, no contact, and the next thing these men arrived and they began work and they were there about a week or ten days, fueled her up and flagged her and away she left. And all was fine. And he tracked her on the AIS the whole way down as, as far as Gibraltar and after Gibraltar she left the AIS that switched it off. That's an illegal thing to do but they did it and you couldn't track her anymore then. He heard no more until about three weeks later, these policemen pull up outside his door and come in, surround his office, and they said that you have sold a vessel to uh, the Gaddafi Libyan government. And you know that you cannot trade with Libya, you cannot trade with Cuba, you cannot trade with Venezuela. There's a list of about 10 or 15 countries in the world where it's illegal to trade with. So he's accused of trading with this country. They took all his computers, and they took everything. He then had to get a lawyer, and then he had to fight them all in court, and he was questioned about, I don't know, 15 or 16 times by the by the uh, uh, Dutch authorities, and um, it's only about a year later that he got everything back, and they, they exonerated him from uh, the whole thing. Okay, so the Irish government don't want that to happen again? Co- correct, They're, you're on, you're absolutely. Yeah, they obviously think the safest way is to de- is to scrap these vessels, but there is a proposal that the Eli Etna be turned into me- a museum in Dublin Port. That is true, but I will tell you that all those things come with cost. So maintaining a vessel for um, a museum what should happen to these three ships? Well, no. This minute, we are we are looking for beds. So in order to alleviate that, with these three ships, can they not put them in various places? There are plenty of places for them. Uh, the Kira has, has berths for 45. The Orla has berths for 45. The Etna has berths for about 100. That alone is about nearly 200. So that's 200 berths alone rather than people on the street and all the rest of it. They have catering facilities, they have day facilities. The vessels could be occupied at least to some productivity. Would you not give them as a prize to the Ukrainian Navy and say, here you are, there's three vessels for nothing? Joe Hose of Coastline Shipping, and I don't think there's very much in the shipping industry that passes him by. Norman Freeman spent many years at sea, having joined the Marconi Company as a radio officer as a very young man. Tonight, he remembers how Marconi recruited him from his college in Dublin. At one time, long before the era of satellites, the Marconi Company was the leading supplier of radio communications and navigational equipment to shipping. It also employed the men to operate it. They were called radio officers, and their job was to maintain contact between ship and shore and look after the radar and other navigational aids. One of the institutes that ran certificate courses for radio officers was the College of Science and Technology in Kevin Street, Dublin. The Marconi Company supplied all marine equipment to the college and was well got with it. 
I was one of the students there. We were trying to master the intricacies of transmitters, receivers, radar, and equally important, the dots and dashes of the Morse code. We were aged between 18 and 23, pale-faced, pimpled, and mostly penniless. If we passed the exam, it meant going to sea as a radio officer. At that time in the 1950s, there was a boom in shipping. There was a shortage of radio officers and the Marconi Company was actively seeking men to join its ranks. So, one afternoon, a tall man from the company's head office in Britain entered the lecture theatre. He had a suntanned face and wavy silver hair. He was dressed in a well-cut tweed suit. We sat on the worn wooden benches looking respectfully at this impressive person. When he spoke, his English accent added to his authority. Now, chaps, as someone who has spent 25 years at sea, I can tell you there's no better life. He looked out the window where a grey pall of rain was falling on the wet slapes of the rooftops. If you pass the exam and join the Marconi Company, you'll find yourself in places where the sun is shining out of a blue sky, lovely beaches, palm trees, Sydney, Rio de Janeiro, San Francisco. The only travel in our lives amounted to getting into the college on creaking bicycles or walking, often with collars turned up against cold and rain. Do any of you chaps smoke, he asked. Some of us nodded. Making cigarettes last a long time had become an art with us. Lighting up, taking a few pulls, then extinguishing the flag between thumb and forefinger. The pockets of our shabby jackets reeked of stale tobacco. He told us the good news, quoting the shillings and pence of the old monetary system. At sea, tobacco is duty-free. A tin of fifty cigarettes is only two shillings. He held up his right hand to display tobacco-brown fingers. He continued enthusiastically. And, of course, drink is duty-free as well. A bottle of gin is only four shillings and sixpence. A bottle of whiskey is only seven and six. Same with vodka, rum. A bottle of lemonade down in the sweet shop was the extent of our drinking. And don't forget you'll be able to save when you're at sea. When you get into port, you'll be walking down the street with money in your pocket, eyeing up the girls. The only woman we noticed in the course of our day at college was the statuesque young woman from the admin office and the girl with the big round eyes and white coat who served behind the counter of the sweet shop nearby. This man had a wide, pliant mouth, and when he smiled, he showed large teeth. Oh, Australia's a great place to meet women. I've a few addresses I might give you. But first of all, he held up his hand dramatically, first of all, you have to pass your exam and join the Marconi Company. With these words, he bowed to the class and departed like an eminent actor, leaving the stage after a virtuoso performance. For a few seconds, we sat there speechless. Then a fellow from Dublin, who had been an indifferent student, stood up. He spoke earnestly. Oh, Jesus, from now on, I'm going to study like a whore. For my part, I joined the Marconi Company and spent eight years with them. Norman Freeman. Now, we've spoken about and visited many lighthouses on the programme in the last year. And people have a great affection for them. But have you ever dreamed of owning one? Well, if you have very deep pockets, you might be interested in the Clare Island Lighthouse off the coast of Mayo. 
It's just come on the market and auctioneer Andrew Crowley of Sherry Fitzgerald Crowley in Westport told me about it. We've been instructed myself and Philip Gucky in the, in the Sherry Fitzgerald um, head office in Dublin and myself in Westport. We were instructed to sell the Clear Island Lighthouse on behalf of a client of ours um, who bought it in 2008. It is the most beautiful place, but it's not actually a functioning lighthouse at the moment. No, it hasn't functioned as a lighthouse since uh, 1965. That was the last time um, the lighthouse was in operation. Um, it, it, the, the, the new lighthouse was commissioned in September 1965 in Bay, literally just a stone's throw over the water from um, the Clare Island Lighthouse. Uh, I believe this was due to uh, a fog being an issue um, back in those days. So the Clare Island Lighthouse um, had to had to be uh, decommissioned at that time. It is a substantial property. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, the, the, the main building itself, the lighthouse building and the accommodation um, comprises of 510 square metres. Um, the lighthouse itself is in original condition. I know they've replaced, I, I, I've been on it and I've been in it a number of times and stayed there. But the lighthouse itself, the tower has been left in its original state. Obviously the glass has been replaced and stuff like that. And it's quite a nice place to visit for the views alone. But the main building itself has now been, I suppose, uh, transformed into accommodation, guest accommodation with on suites and, and kitchens and lovely dining rooms with views. Uh, sitting rooms, you know, there's, it's it's absolutely heavenly out there. And when you look at it, look at the photographs on your website, the, it looks like a whole series of traditional cottages tied together. Yes, there are a number of outbuildings which have been transformed again into, um, we call them the secondary buildings, even though there's nothing secondary about them. You have the Tower House, the Sauna Suite, the Banshee Cottage, uh, which we named before any famous film uh, was created, uh, Cliff Corner, and there's two more snugs uh, externally. And these are all now um, lovely accommodation, provide provide really luxurious accommodation for anyone that would, would like to stay in them. Is it easy enough to get there? There's a ferry. There's, there's two ferries operating. You have um, the O'Grady family operating the ferry, and then you have the O'Malley's ferries who also uh, operate onto the island. So there's, there, it's very easy to get out there. It's 20 minutes from Runa Pier, which is just outside Lewisburg. I mean, door to door from me in Westport, you can be there in 45 minutes. And, and the views are like nothing else. You can't. You can't avoid the views at any stage. I stayed there, as I said, for a weekend and, you know, to wake up looking out at the sea and, you know, it's absolutely heavenly. You're, you know, you're away from it all. It's a great place to to just relax, kick back, you know, not watch television or, or go on your phones. There is Wi-Fi out there, of course, available, but it's just a lovely place to unwind. The price tag is pretty hefty. 4.8 million uh, is what we're asking for the property. But I think, you know, the real, reality is, as as our vendor says, you know, these people with this type of money, they can buy the biggest yacht and the next day a bigger yacht will pull into the port beside them. How many of them can buy a night? <laughs> I, I tend to agree with them. <laughs> I, I presume you're marketing this internationally as well. 
we are indeed um, between ourselves. We are we're using Christie's International and we will be marketing um, it in the States and in China and other areas throughout the world, obviously through Ireland as well, through the Sherry's Sherry Network. There have been a few yeah. landmark properties sold uh, along these lines over the last couple of years. There are some islands. You've sold an island yourself in the past? I've sold, I was involved in the sale of two islands uh, off the, the, in Clue Bay, I suppose. Um, we had Inish Turk Bag, which um, years ago featured on a TV program. They produced their own whiskey and they had a recording studios. And I was a, I was a joint agent on that. And we still agreed that a number of years ago. I also sold um, what's known here as Beetle Island, the island that John Lennon bought many years ago that was sold to a party in Hong Kong. What type of people are interested in these things? Realistically, I don't believe our buyer will be Irish. I would be delighted if our buyer was Irish, but I I would think most likely the buyer will either come from um, Asia or, or the United States. That would be my guess. If somebody comes from Asia to buy something like this, will they get much use out of it? It's hard to it's hard to know. I mean, I've often seen people buy islands and relocate and absolutely love the change in lifestyle. You know, you, you can you have direct trains from Westport to Dublin. So within 45 minutes, you can be on a train to Dublin. You have Knox Airport, which is a blessing. So you can it, it's not that difficult. It's not as isolated as one may think. It's also got a helicopter pad. You do indeed, yes, and and uh, that's set out, and uh, you know, on a good day, and there's many good days out here. There's, you know, you can get in and out on a helicopter. And thanks to Andrew Conway, and you can find all details of the Clare Island Lighthouse on the Sherry Fitzgerald Crowley website, on the Christie's website, or just Google Lighthouse for Sale. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. And if you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.